Greg Mork for another go. Good to be with you, Brian. Always. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Do some more uh, talking about the yeah. warfighter soul. I'd love to. Probably one of the one of the most comprehensive reads I think available today, and it might be my my bias opinion. It, it I'm not I'm not denying that there could be bias there. Um. Um. By the way, I love you. Love you too, man. I just thought I'd say that, Zach. I love you, dude. Love you. Proud of you. Um. I think I think there's probably um, some bias there, and I'm not really as well read as you are in this in this area of the things that are are covered in this book. But I can't help but notice the the cover patterns that are on here the the the, the digital camouflage patterns, mm-hmm. the name of the book. The Warfighter Soul. I mean, there's um, to look at this book, you're going to know that it is going to lend heavily to a military member, especially one who has been downrange doing doing our nation's work overseas. But the things that they come back with are sometimes really hard to explain, especially for them. And um, there are traumas. And before we turn the microphones on, we were talking about suicide ideations. And I asked you the difference. I said, ideations or is it ideologies? And you began to explain the difference between the two, but I wanted to save it for this because I wanted I wanted to to set you loose on on those two things, their relation. But I know that there's a few other things in there as well. I think there's two or other two or so other things that, that are in there. Um, but uh, let's go down that road for a minute. Yeah, so an ideation is a, um, it's a so suicidal ideation is a, it's a, it's a, you're given more to thoughts of suicide. So ideation means that you're contemplating suicide as a response to a hopelessness. An ideology is the study of it. So an ideology is a belief system. So it's a belief system. So, but an ideation is, is something that is, uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not good. So unless, unless your ideation is on something that is positive and good, but the way that we use suicidal ideation is that we have an extreme uh, amount of uh, warfighters and people. Incidentally, uh, trauma, it does not just come from those who are downrange. Trauma can come to a drone pilot mm-hmm. in Nevada, mm-hmm. or they can, it can come to a support, support pe- people in 101st, or support 5th Group, or support CAG, or whatever happens to be the case. I mean, or, or someone who's ever been in the military. Or, or yeah, or not. Yeah. So right. we. So what's happened since we published the book is, we've noticed that we're dealing with trauma on multiple levels. Uh, I just signed a contract with a major police department that I'm going to be training all of their hundreds of law enforcement. Can you tell us what, what police department? Yeah, Metro. It's in uh, Nashville. That's awesome. So. We're, I was going to start guessing police departments again. Yeah, I knew like you I were. Saying. That's why I said it. <laughs> so, but it, yeah, 
But you know the thing about it is, is that first responders, uh, warfighters, they're not. They don't hold the the line on uh, trauma. Trauma happens to people at their childhood. As a matter of fact, I, I like to use this as an example. I have a very, very, very close friend who's in a in a tier one uh, group um, who. Uh, who came to me and I was in, and I, he wanted me to write his memoir, his, uh, his life story. And he wanted to start with his, uh, becoming a ranger and, uh, a scout sniper. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. Scout, scout something. Anyway, when he came to me, um, he wanted to start there, but, uh, uh, so what I did is I'd have him tell me his story and then I, I would document the story. So, we ended up with 27 chapters in this book that we did for him. Uh, but uh, what happened to him during the process was not what he was prepared for. Um, basically, I made him start from his childhood. And, um, and what I, w- I didn't realize till after we were finished is that he had wanted to tell his story so that his family would have knowledge of what he lived for because he had already planned his death. So he had suicidal ideations, and he was planning it because he mm. didn't. Because nobody on earth had ever heard his story. The only people that knew parts of it were his, were his fellow teammates. You know, he took he took out some of the worst people on earth, and so as we spent weeks uh, on my on the weekends uh, going over his story, uh, things started to come out as he would talk about things. Um, you know. By the way, is this making sense? Okay, so mm-hmm. so basically what I did not know is that he was suicidal. I did not know that until I started uh, finding his trauma. And that's one of the things this book and other things that we've developed does is that most people are not really that aware of where their trauma comes from. They don't even know they have it. All they know is they've stashed it somewhere. And when, when I got this gentleman before me and I started, he started telling me his story uh, at points. He's, by the way, one of the most stoic, scary guys I've ever known, um, second only to you. But anyway, the, 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 but the fact is, is that he would tell these stories and then all of a sudden, in telling the story, completely lose it. Mm-hmm. So... He was unaware that that little old lady behind the door when he kicked the door down clearing buildings in Iraq, he was unaware that that woman was his grandmother. And at that moment, his grandmother was the one that he kicked down when he went in that door. He literally lost it. What is, now, what is that important? Why is that important? Wait. What do you mean he was unaware that it was his grandma? Well, when he kicked down the door, that was his grandmother. Where was he? And I, it was, uh, he was, okay. He was in Iraq? He was in Iraq. He had just killed every, um, every male fighter. Okay. Now they're clearing the buildings. Okay. The first door he kicks down, little old lady behind it, and he loses it as he's telling me the story. As he sees it as his that's, grandma. That's right. Got it. So what, what, uh, what, we a lot of us think trauma is it's stuff it's not for him he didn't have a trouble killing all those guys that wasn't traumatic that's his job they're enemies what what happens where trauma happens is is in the gray 
And some people can say, well, I was raped. Okay, that was trauma. Or the other thing is, is that, uh, is that when the moment he did that, I would identify that as a trauma. Now, he hasn't identified it as a trauma, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But I was able to notate over the period of telling me his whole life story, all the areas where he had trauma that was existing that was mm. causing him to have suicidal ideations. Mm. And um, it's interesting, Bram, I, I, I've, when I asked him to tell me his childhood, he had the best childhood. His father was fantastic. Nothing bad about his family. Mm. Right? Mm. That's what he says. And then later, as he's telling me his story, he said, my dad beat me with a belt buckle every day of my life in the house. So all of a sudden, I'm going, wait, my dad was perfect, and he beat me with a belt buckle every day? What does that tell you? Mm-hmm. It tells you he doesn't know it's a trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So later on, he's talking about his own kids. Because I waited and a good counselor always waits. He's talking about his own kids. I said, Mike, by the way, uh, you, you really love your kids. Oh, yeah, I love my kids. I was uh, standing there looking for Manuel Noriega on Christmas, and it was one of the things that made him matter in hell because he always wanted to be at home at Christmas. And, uh, you know, so he was talking about how much he loved his kids. I said, by the way, Mike, did you beat your kids every day with a belt buckle? And he looks at me. Why would you say that? That's a terrible thing to say. I said, yeah, it is. I said, but that's what your dad did. And he's speechless. See, one of the problems with suicidal ideations is it's a byproduct of, of the inability to identify one's own trauma. Mm-hmm. And when, and the only, the first step to being free from the power of trauma is to own it. And the way that I describe trauma is trauma is like this. So if all of a sudden trauma, when trauma happens, it's like your hand in front of your face and everywhere you look, you're looking through that trauma. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. That little old lady, that dad to beat you. Then um, there's numerous others. But the bottom line is that you've got this hand in front of your face. Now that hand does not leave. The power of that trauma obscures your life and hinders your ability to look at life the way you should look at it. But the brain causes it to go away. So if I leave my hand like this for a long period of time, I'll, be, I'll just get used to seeing through, through, the, uh, through the problem. That's why they call it post-traumatic stress because the trauma stays there, creates stress. Well, what we've learned to do is to take this and turn it into a memory. And when you take this and you turn it into a memory, the suicidal ideations completely disappear. Mm-hmm. There's a number of, of things that we do with people. But the first one is you've got to own it. And so what I said to Mike was, um, I said to this, this operator, I said, man, you were abused as a child. No, I wasn't. Really? What did your dad do every day? Well, he's just being a dad. I said, well, I'm a dad. A lot of people I know are dads. They don't beat their kids with belt buckles. And finally, he, he got to the place where he just bowed his head and he gave up. And he said, I never realized that. And then we went to the little old lady and we went to several other places. And Mike was able to identify these and own them 
so that now you cannot change the power of a trauma and its negative impact in your life until you first own it as such. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Wow. Wow, that's powerful. When you were dealing with guys that were in the in the military over the the time that you have been helping them since you were in the back of the, the yeah, pickup back. truck mm-hmm. and you know, a dummy get out of the truck day, right? Is it through the the amount of time that you have sitting in front of team guys, sitting in front of military members, sitting in front of police officers, because you've done that a lot as well. Yeah. Um, is it through all of that that you've come to kind of learn this this process, this thing that you're that you're that you're dealing with with I mean, there are stories in Warfire Soul of some of the situations that you've encountered. I guess what I'm trying to ask is where did where did this knowledge come from? Like, where did you learn this? So, I'm going to assume, um, you know, psychology, psychology books, psychiatry books, mental health books. You know, what the way you've explained it, you know, it seemed quite simple, but I've never heard it before. Well, so. neither had I. Uh, neither I don't know anybody that has heard it before. And and let me let me kind of segue for a minute. Um, I don't I don't know that I ever chose this, but we talked about this in the past that I've always been the type of person that would look at something that was detrimental to another human being, and I would make myself figure it out. Mm-hmm. I got to figure this out because this person's not going to get better. Mm-hmm. And out of love for them and care for them and, and honoring their service and their sacrifice, there needs to be people who put themselves in the fight to f- come up with answers. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and, and so I, um, uh, about three years ago, I'm in my later 60s now, about three years ago I came to a realization that whatever I was doing was working. So, and it wasn't this arrogant thing. It was just working. The people that I were working with were getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, and the suicidal stuff, I, I don't think, I mean, I only, I only lost one person to suicide that I was working with on that subject. It's interesting, by the way, this is another segue. You know Mike Day. Mm-hmm. Mike Days wrote a wrote a really good book, you know, on perfectly wounded. He called it. Mike Day was there for Jimmy and a lot of other people who were um, suicidal, had guns in their mouths, and he was helping them. And um, most people don't know this, but Mike was this guy who was running around. He was helping everybody. He was he was one of the most wonderful people. But and then he ended up killing himself. Now, why is that possible? He seemed okay. He seemed like he had 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 everything together. He was there for his brothers when they were struggling. So why did he do it? And the answer is that the process started, but it wasn't complete. Mm. So he identified the trauma. He maybe even restructured the trauma but he didn't deal with the patterns that were developed by looking at life through the trauma. You see, when you look at life through an obstacle, you look at your wife through that. You look at your Mm -hmm. kids through that. Mm -hmm. You look at your future through that. And guess what? 
you look in the mirror through that and you and it's and it skews those things it skews them it makes them look like something they don't look like so what do you do you're stressed what do you do you open a bottle you start abusing people you get angry and you exude that anger towards people which does what pushes them away from you mm-hmm. which does what makes them feel like you don't love them which does what creates divorce which does what you can fill in the blanks mm-hmm. yeah it keeps going so the, the thing about it is is that it's a it's a downward spiral to the point where you wake up one day and you cannot deal with it one more day mm-hmm. suicide is not cowardice Suicide has nothing to do with being a coward. It has to do with a person coming to the place where hopelessness has so inundated their soul that they cannot stand to live another day. Yeah. There's nothing more tragic than to see our heroes and the people that have given the most in life take their own life. Right. Because it's preventable, Bram. And I'm not trying to pontificate or preach here. I'm just trying to say it's preventable. And you asked, where did I get these things? Um, it's interesting because I, I got them in, you know, I got them because I just did it. And it, and when I was forced to write them, I thought, well, that's how, that's how I got it. Mm. You know, I got one, uh, there's one chapter in here called Building Memorials. Yeah, I remember that. And, and uh, you know, I was in the Middle East one time, and we were doing a bunch of filming. And You were in the Middle East many times. Many times, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember this time I was in, uh, we were filming, and I was in, uh, I was overlooking the, uh, the Jordan River. Mm. We'd finished, and I'm sitting up on a high hill in the Jordan River, and I'm sitting there, punt, and I'm thinking to myself, what happened there? You know, what's the historical dynamic here? Because we all know that God parted the Jordan River for the Israelites to come from, from the land where they were 40 years in, in the desert, where the new generation was able to cross over the Jordan into Canaan, representing a new life. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about that. I'm just meditating on that. And, it's, and, and then the weirdest thing happens. God tells them, after they've been in, in the bondage 40 years... The last thing you'd want to do, the minute you step into it, is to stop. I want to get as far away from the 40 years as I can get. What does God tell him? Stop. That that just got to me. I'm going, okay, God doesn't do anything without a purpose. Mm-hmm. And in this position, in this situation, God said, stop. What why are we stopping, Lord? Why are we stopping? I want you to build a memorial. Now, most people don't know a memorial is not just an end of something. It's a beginning to something else. It's just not representing what's gone. It's representing what's, what's the, it's representing the future. Because if, you, if you're memorializing a person, that person didn't cease to exist on the day that they died. They just changed clothing. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. So what I, what, I've, uh, what I did is I built one concept on that whole dynamic of building a, a memorial. It's that you, for us to be healthy, we have to correctly deal with the issues that are making us unhealthy. Mm. And that is not just saying goodbye through a period of renunciation and different things that we do. It's not just saying goodbye to it. 
It's representing the new life. And then every time you walk in this new life and you start feeling like you used to in the desert, you look back and you see a memorial. Mm. And a memorial reminds you, I'm not that person anymore. Mm. So there's different ways I, to answer your question. It's a long answer. Sorry, bro. But no, um, I'm just... It's, uh, I mean, it, it was a deep question, you know, so it's going to require a, a, you know, a deep answer. And because it, to me, it always amazed me as how you always know what to say. And I asked you once, this was, I think I was still in the military, so it was over 20 years ago. But I asked you once, I said, how do you always know what, what to say? And, um, <laughs> and, and you said you, I'll never forget what you said. Cause, cause it was, it was a longer answer than I would anticipate. I don't know what I said. So you went, you went down the anointing route and you said, I don't no. know what to say. No, no. He goes, I, he goes, and I'm, at, I'm at peace with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you said then too. You're like, yeah, I don't know what to say and I'm okay with it because God knows what to say. And I have enough time with God to know what his voice sounds like. And I have enough discernment to know what I'm supposed to say when God speaks to me. And I've never, I've never forgotten that. That's why when it did not surprise me that this book was as deep as it was, you have your doctorate. It's not in psychology. No. And yet, here you are, Tony, because we were in my office. We were just talking, and you were, you you said that uh, you had psychiatrists and psychologists going. Um, so did you get this from? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know the the PhD doctor manual, right? Uh, psychology manual. Did you get this from the you know the uh, psychiatry for dummies manual? Yeah. Did you get this from the? And you're just like, no, I got it from just doing it. I just walked life with people, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and, you know, um, I think if you don't mind me, I'd like to comment on something you just said. Yeah. The whole concept. Of no, you can't. Okay. So moving on. So the next thing. No, I'm just kidding. Go. The whole concept <laughs> of hearing God is something that most people have given mm -hmm. up on. 100%. Now, one of the reasons is because of the doctrine of cessationalism, uh, that all the gifts ceased with the apostolic age. And I understand some people believe that and want to believe that, that God doesn't speak except through his word. Um, I think I think that's antithetical to the scriptures. I, I don't I don't believe that because it's not my experience. I've heard God tell me things many 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 times, um, and um, and uh, that is called being led by the Spirit. And I think for if if you if you want to ever be a help to people, you've got to have answers that aren't coming from your intellect. They they don't come from your learning. They don't come. From anything that's you there, and you know, and you know, there's something really refreshing about knowing I just gave a guy an answer I didn't know myself. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? It, it, and, and it's the most exciting thing. It's almost like an adrenaline hits you when you're faced with something, and guy, someone has just asked you something that's either life or death, and they're looking to you to give them an answer, and you find that answer for them, and both of you are left with your mouth open. And that is the funnest thing, Bram. Hmm. It is so fun to be able to be led by the Spirit and to hear the Spirit's direction is one of the greatest gifts in life. And it's available yeah. to everybody. 
watching you deal with all these guys through the years. <laughs> some of the guys' names are popping in my head. Yeah. And just some of the messes that uh that I would say that you found yourself in, but you weren't in the mess. But you what you do is and again, I have repeated this so many times is that you would literally you you didn't find yourself in a mess. You asked to be invited into the mess. Into the mess. Yeah. And then when you did, you would just stand there and be like, okay, so this isn't insurmountable. And then you would demonstrate a standard. And there's something about that because, you know, as believers is that now you know that you're not going to be alone. Right? Right. Now it's going to be a, I, I have somebody next to me and I feel, so it's tangible. And as new believers or as many times non-believers, yeah. right? Yeah. It's you, many times. You can't you can't go this massive ethereal route. You gotta stay in the practical with them. That's right. And that's that's something that I always watched you do and it was always amazing. And and it, because the guys would always ask me, Hey, what about this? And why do you do things that way? Why do you, I was just like, uh you, you you gotta meet Greg. <laughs> and then I would take and and uh, um, call you and say, I don't know what to do. This guy, Billy Bob or whatever. Hey, he's got a question. Let's let's let's, let's get his question answered. But uh, but yeah, I want you to kind of walk. And you know walk what? Through. We ought to tell that story about the van. The van. Yeah, we'll tell the yeah. Okay, so I'm, let's tell the van story. Yeah, that day in the van. Where were I think we were in we we were in Joe we were in uh, uh, Jacksonville. Remember? Was it Jacksonville or were we like a? Was it Amelia Island? No, that was when Mac got married. Yeah, so we were in either way. Okay, so we were we so we were in, in, no, they were jumping. So they were definitely jumping. Oh, we was jumping. Yeah, we had we were at yeah, we guys we had were a jumping. Jump team show. Yeah, and uh, I was in the front with uh, with with our our lieutenant with 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 Mac. Yeah, and. You were just in the back with the guys, yeah. And they figured they had they have oh a, they were gonna tear me apart oh yeah and and that uh, was that and was, I remember Mac looks over at me he's like oh they don't know what they're <laughs> they don't know what they're getting into and uh, we were both intently listening in fact I think we turned the radio off everything just so we could have front row seats to the show. But I remember one of the guys asked you specifically and directly. He asked you straight. That he was very like, stoic. He was yep. very serious about it. Very serious. It. Yeah. Because I think that you had just got done talking about the the difference um, that the difference between being a believer and a non-believer and and how you're viewed by an enemy. And you kind of went into this thing where it's like if you're if you're a civilian, you're viewed differently. By the enemy, the enemy is going to be more interested in the command. And I think this was uh, kind of like this is kind of an old warfare mindset nowadays. You know, jihadists and you know extremists and stuff like that. They don't care as long as you don't. If you don't believe like they do, you are the enemy. Yeah. You shall die, and you shall die now by any means necessary. Right? There's that. But you were talking about how um, if you're a believer, you're viewed differently by the enemy, and and I remember one of the guys asked you, and he said, so 
Why does the why does the why would the devil want me? To which you said he already has you. <laughs> <laughs> that was a you know, I'll never forget that moment because the guys acted like team guys. There was like, oh, oh, oh. It was like one after oh, another. Oh, that was Larry. That, oh, bear, yeah, oh, yeah, of yeah. Course it was. That was Larry. Larry was in there. You know, Larry was, of course, like like doing what Larry does every time somebody gets one over on somebody else. Like, go, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember those, like uh, the look on that guy's face. It was it was incredible. It was it was it was pretty funny because he immediately just like just like okay i have to go at this from a different angle and, uh, <laughs> or we could just change the subject i think you know? we changed the subject really quick. we did re-talk about it later yeah. alone oh and, yeah. yeah and mac and i were the front just cracking up it was yeah. quite quite funny but the reason i brought that up is that you know i have watched you through so many years go through so many situations and some of them just straight up stressful just guys that are just really hard to manage. I was that guy often for you, but also I, I, I knew I was in this for the long haul. Some of the guys that you dealt with, you didn't know if they were really committed to a process. I was committed to a process, but I was also it didn't matter to me quite a more. I know, I know I, it mattered to me though. Yeah. You remember the conversations I would have with you? Like I would go full judgy on them, and I was I would just like I'm just being, you know, being, uh, I guess vulnerable right now. I guess uh, just being real and just saying, why are you even wasting your time with that guy? You right. Know what? He, you that, did. I remember. Yeah, yeah, that guy is a pain in the ass. All he's gonna do is just runner. Just he's just he's gonna keep on chirping, running his mouth. He's not gonna change. He's just gonna be just a. It, it just I don't know. It, it, it sucks being around him, but. You know, and and I think part of it too is like, and now he has your attention. I need your attention. Why are you spending it on this nerd over here? And and your responses were always so. Is like I haven't heard from God. God hasn't told me to let him go yet. Aren't you glad I didn't let you go? And I was like, I'm I'm pretty glad, and that shut me down every time. So my my question is is you know. Have you had have you experienced that place where the people that you've helped have maybe disappointed you? Like they're they and, and to where you're just like, I there's nothing I can do for you. And I guess not disappointed you. They 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 kind of brought you to the place where you're just like, I don't have anything more for you. You don't want to hear what I have to say. I'm not gonna spend any more time. You ever get there? Well, um, to be honest, I don't ever remember getting there. Mm. And now the, there's a very great possibility I did, but it's not in me to give up on human beings. Mm. It's not in me. So even if I did, it was the, with the caveat in my brain that someday we'll we'll revisit this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know uh, I've I've. I think it's important to confess that I've failed guys. I've failed people. I failed them when I was there for them for a lot of their life, but when they needed me most, I wasn't there. When they were in a hospital, almost in almost, I can pick a one guy, mm-hmm. but when he was in a hospital, almost dead, I wasn't there to to be there. I mm-hmm. should have been there. And uh, and 
there were times when what there's no excuse for it, whether it was family problems or anything else, I should have been there because that's my job. That's that's my calling. So, but as far as as far as uh, giving up on somebody, I I think I've I don't know of any any military person I've ever given up on uh, that, and it's still to this day. There are some of them that should I sh- I mean they're pretty scruffy, pretty rough around the edges people, but I still call them. Zach, look up scruffy. So I want to see what it says. It's scruffy. <laughs> It's not Scruffy. <laughs> Scruffy's a dog's name. Don't he's, worry about it. You don't have to look it up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he did look it up. I don't know. Oh, you don't want to know what the Urban Dictionary says about it. Oh, yeah. Let's not. Can we, can we say it? Oh, no. We can't say it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but, you know, there's, um, there, there's uh, in, any, in any desire to help other people, if you put yourself in that position... You're going to be disappointed a lot because if you have a heart to help others, and a lot of people don't want to be better, but so you you have to make sure you make the decision that you don't spend all your time on the people who don't want to get better for those who do want to get better. You need to be available. You know, uh, you're just so much better than I am at all this stuff because I look at this stuff and I'm just like I have had guys. Hey, Bram, help me through this. Or, hey, Bram, it's you know, like I'm all in. What What do you got? But after four or five years of having the same conversation, I it find, gets old. Yeah, I find myself going, "Hey, man, I you, you're stuck." Yeah. Uh, and by like, the way, I'm not better than you. You're 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 not me. We approach it at a, at a different level. As a matter of fact, I think you're probably significantly better than me in in probably every area that I would like to be better. Really? I mean wow. even and I and I mean that sincerely. It's not I'm not just blown smoke. I'm just saying that I think there's a need for hardcore for people that have been through it, people that have lived the life. People and that's the goal of this book is to dope, duplicate myself mm. in the warfighters and have them I even have a, a vision. Uh, the the problem is getting the hope to the people that are suicidal, which is why I wrote this book. But I have a dream of having a TV show where we take the stories, not the peep, actual people, when a person has been through their through the process and been healed and been whole and has now become a very productive person in, in society, if they desire that their story be shown through a TV show with B-roll t- going back to where they're at or going back to Panama or going back to Somalia, going back wherever their trauma happened. That way, every soldier, every sailor, Marine, airman, every police officer can watch that show and say, there's hope for me. Mm. That's the best way for me to get out the message, which is my number one message. You do not have to. There's a QRF that is standing by that's Mm. ready to come to your attention just don't do it now. Give us a chance. And I want that message to go out to the people. Because, Bram, you know this. You've been here. There's something about when when a, when a operator or a, a soldier is, uh, is experiencing traumatic events and they're with their team. 
when you're with your team, everybody's everybody's dealing with it. Even if everyone is every one of them's being traumatized by it, but that's not the case. A lot of people, when you're operating, you're going on a mission. You come back from that mission. There may have been one guy traumatized by it, and the others didn't. And he starts to reflect those that stuff inside, and the other guys will look at him and say, "Suck it up, man. We were all there." There's something, that, and that's a, it's a statistic. That a, when a person is in their team, when they're with their crew, when they're with their whatever, they're safe from suicidal uh, mm-hmm. ideations mm-hmm. because because they're we all went through it. There's something cohesive and wonderful and beautiful about being with your brothers and your sisters when you're doing these things, even though you're being traumatized. Problem comes. When they get outside of their team and they're thrust into a society that has no, uh, no, nothing. It's just a mess. It's mm. ugly. And what happens is they're there with, and their traumas begin to start to come to the surface. And they start to, see, and then they look at their people around and the people around are saying, hey, we need you to just be like us now. We need you to be like us. So what do they do? They develop an alter ego. And the alter ego is the person that everybody wants them to be but it's not the person they go to bed with. They sleep, they open, they can't sleep. They have no REM sleep. They suffer under the trauma. Nobody is understanding it. It's not their crew anymore. There's nobody to turn to. And suddenly they're a liability when they've always been an asset. And a person that has been an operator, a person that's been at the tip of the spear will not be a liability. So people ask me all day long, why is there such a high suicide rate among uh, warfighters? It's because they refuse to be a liability because they only know asset. The minute they have to be someone other than who they are, they're going to take care of it themselves. And it's not doing 22 push-ups a day that's going to solve it. No. It's not taking... Uh going and, and, and raising a bunch of money and throwing it out of problems. You know, people gonna... do that. You know, I had a friend that called me the other day. He said, I'm, gonna, I'm doing something to help veteran suicide. I said, what's that? He says, I'm rowing across the Atlantic. And I'm like, okay, know, and that does about... what? Yeah. Uh, that does what? I mean, well, we're going to raise money. You want to give me some money? And I'm like, well, I would give you money if you had an answer for suicide other than telling people you rode across the Atlantic, which mm-hmm. is a stupid thing to do. Uh, even though team guys do it and everybody does it, mm-hmm. I have a, in the book I talk about uh, signs and syndromes of family mm-hmm. members. And one of the syndromes and signs of, of uh, <clears throat> the problems is, is called the Superman syndrome. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the Superman syndrome is basically you, do, you, you try to do these superhuman things. You get out and you're suffering from trauma. You try to do all these superhuman things just to stay this far ahead of your yeah. past coming over you. And well, Rob kind of does. He is kind of Superman anyway, right? He's got. He's. Uh, I mean, how much stuff that guy has actually done physically is amazing. It is. At yeah. His, it at is his job. So I was super encouraged. But but look, if him. you're gonna do something to help people with suicide, I mean, do something. Right. Um, you know, percent. Do something. Yeah. Uh, you know we. We've we've looked into the ibogaine and we've looked into the hallucinogenics and mm-hmm. we've looked into all sorts of different things. I've been there. I've I've actually researched all those things, and I'm not suggesting they're all they're that they're not that there's not a possibility that uh, they're helping. I'm not saying that, but I do think that there's a that that the way that we've approached this, I know it works. 
So I'm going to do what I know works. Mm -hmm. But if if I were to ask the DOD would to give me some money, you know what I'd use it for? I'd travel around the country looking into all the people, the little people who've put themselves in a position to find uh, an answer to the suicidal ideations and the problems our military has. And I'd find out. And if it works, I'd give them the money. Right now, if you look on the D on the on the uh, website of where the money goes that goes to suicide, it's it's ridiculous. There there's there's no common sense to giving seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to somebody who isn't helping. It has not created a single thing that has helped a single soldier. But there's people out there that aren't funded. There's people out there that have created something because of their love and their concern and their devotion to those who give the most. So if somebody had, say, a hundred grand and they're gonna they want to spend it on something like like this is a big deal for them. The uh uh the, the suicide rate issue of our veterans. And that person's like, I, I have a hundred thousand dollars and I want to put it towards somebody or something that's that is actually making a difference how how do they go about finding that because i i'm 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 with you that the the whole 22 push-up thing i i get it from an informational from a yeah it helps people know it's an awareness it's not saving anybody right but but then there comes a point where we have to get the 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 engine we have to somehow create a drivetrain to get to the wheels so the wheels turn so the vehicle moves, right? So we have all this awareness, but there's very little drivetrain. So, like, if some if 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 someone were to want to give money to an organization that's doing it, do you have one that pops up the, in, into your mind? Oh, you have one. Yeah, well, we've developed the Warfighter Soul. So you have. Warfiresoul.org, uh, warfire but is it able to take yeah. donations to do? Yeah, we we deal with it differently. We we anybody who makes donations to us has full view of what we actually do with those funds to to bring these things to pass. So we have a for profit for the DoD or for government uh, mm -hmm. agencies, and we have a non profit for people who want to donate to facilitate this like right now i need to buy 300 of my own books because i i'm it's a publisher that sells me my book i need to buy 300 books for 300 officers i'm going to be training um uh, in the next month how much does that cost i don't know i, I i'll be honest with you I, I think it's like five or six bucks a book that's my cost so the thing about it is is that i i tell them ahead of time so fifteen hundred dollars or so uh, no, I think it would be more than that, right? Three times five is 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 fifteen hundred. Uh, it is fifteen hundred. <laughs> Jeez, man, you had to go there. But you but, see that I just got math checked. I was thinking by it was PhD. fifteen thousand. That's why I was. Uh, so okay, end, so that's covered. So I'll, I'll pay for that. Well, I got that. So okay. let's. So 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 we have the three hundred book thing. So how does that? So so here's. I'm the, trying to. I'm trying to. I'm trying to create a chain of events so the people watching can say, all right, if this happens, we need this many books to go to this. Is this for the metro? Yeah, I'm in. I'm gonna go too. You mind if I go? No, I don't. I'm gonna bring mind. Zach with me. Um, we're gonna go out there. We're gonna we're gonna do that. Can we film it? Yeah, we can. Pretty sure. Will they have to ask? Ask them, and and then Zach and I will 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 film it. Then you have something for your platform that you can add 
that's going to be on warfightersoul.org. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we can do that. You down? Okay. So I want people to, 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 to connect it, right? Warfighter Soul, 300 books, police department. They get you and they get the book. They get to hear what we've been talking about yep. firsthand. And we've extended right? the information in this book to to significantly more. Okay. The, we have a four-hour course that we put on. So so, so let's create a challenge then pretty much because I'm, I'm hoping that law enforcement officer, officers are seeing this, that they're able to go to their – their their leadership and say hey we we let's we put want it on that. yeah i'm and i'm on i'm on johnny on the spot and then let's have and then but we need to have somebody step up to say okay how many people are in your department how many people are going to be there well there's gonna be 100 officers awesome so we need to raise enough for 100 books to be able to go to these guys now hopefully there's some donors that show up hopefully there's some police departments that show up and be able to take those guys now we've actually created a way towards being able to Put a put a fire blanket and create a, a a a mechanism of change to the suicide ideations that are happening and identified in this book. Yep. Right. That's what I was trying to get to. Yep. Like let's so let's 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 do that because yeah, I I have uh, the the goal that the goal of having a video series that can be accessed online is another big deal. I want guys that have the thousands of people we've helped, the guys that are willing to tell their stories, because a lot of guys aren't. I'll tell my story. I've had a pistol in my mouth before. I know, I know. But the point is, is that uh, we we want to be able to put those guys talking online. And we want mm-hmm. suicidal guys to know that there's a place online where you can go and you can listen to your brothers, you can listen to your sisters tell the story of how their life's changed and transformed, and that, that, that you're no different. Yeah. But... We're, we'll grow it as much as God allows us to grow it. I could speak all over the country uh, on to law enforcement and military installations, and, and I'd even like to train um, our young soldiers what to do, how to, how to know what's going to come. Mm-hmm. and then what Because right now our nation's poised to be a major war on several different fronts. Our new guys, we're going to a graduation, Bud's uh, next Friday, and you know we got two young new guys. Those guys are going to be busy. And they're going to be experiencing things. I mean, what do you think? Well, I don't want to go down that line. I'm just saying, if they need, if they know what trauma feels like, and they know what it looks like, and I, we already are, taught them what to do when it happens. That's a game changer. Prehab. You're in prehab. <laughs> prehab. Yeah. yeah. Prehab. Yeah. It's. Do it's, we have a minute? I want to. Yeah. I want to talk about once something. I. Uh, Zach, how much time do you have? Ten minutes. So I want to talk about uh, psychological first aid for a minute. Yeah, because that's in the book too. Sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah, let's do yeah. It. So 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 the, the most uh, so um, one of the things that I learned through experience is that um, we have uh, you're an eighteen delta. Um, I don't know mm-hmm. if it's still called that, but if you're in the army, it is in NSW. They don't they don't they don't call have that, that program anymore. Yeah. Okay. So, but anyway, Bram, he's a medic, and and. Uh, um, you know, we we are adept at having making sure medics are there that when something happens uh, uh, in war, they're able to triage and deal with uh, the individuals that are going through what they're going through, whether they lose legs, which is quite often, you know, arms, hands, whatever. They're they're triaged. They're, t- they're battlefield triaged. Then they're taken to a medical tent and then they're 
transferred to where they're going to get the most help. Mm -hmm. It's a system that has been around since the beginning of war. In the Civil War, they were doing that. We're adept at that. We're good at that. We're the best in the world at that. Well, the I was at a uh, Collier's, uh, Doug Ryan's, you know, Doug Ryan. And mm-hmm. I was at a Collier's board meeting, and they'd asked me to make a presentation. And my part of the presentation was to talk about psychological first aid. And this is the way I put it. And, and those that are watching right now, I really want you to think about this, because this is a game changer in the way that we care and love for people. Um, I said, you know, what if, what if, uh, so I stood up and I said, you know, the one thing every one of us has in this. How much time do you need for this, for uh, the psychological first aid? Just five minutes. Because, can we spend more time on it? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because I think I want to, I want to, I want to, let's, 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 let's do, let's do another episode. Okay. Um, So next week, let's come back and let's do, let's do an entire an entire episode on on uh, the, the psychological first aid because as just with what you said now like I literally in my mind I went somewhere something jumped inside of me I went somewhere else and I have I have a thousand questions okay let's do it so let's let's do that so man thanks for being here again love you man uh, love Greg. you man I love you I love you I, I love you I'm proud and of I love you. you I'm proud of Zach and I love you Bram Radio. <laughs>